Hello, Drs. Coleman, Ms. Biskey. Thank you for the invitation to speak today. It's a great pleasure to be here. You've just heard from the previous talk how to treat the fit patient with three or four drugs and induction. And I'd like to discuss how we may treat the remainder of newly diagnosed myeloma patients who are not fit for these types of treatment. The title of my talk today is Management of the Unfit and Frail Multiple Myeloma Patient. As you may notice, the title is not Management of the Elderly Multiple Myeloma Patient or Transplant Ineligible Patient, as the standard practice of evaluating and selecting treatment based on chronological age and transplant eligibility is being reexamined. These are my disclosures. So I'll divide my talk into three parts. The first part will review evidence-based treatments in the elderly and historically transplant ineligible uh, uh, population. Next, we'll define fit, unfit, and frail patients using one of the more recently published frailty index uh, scores. And then the last part of the talk, the, the bulk of the talk, will discuss evidence-based in evidence-based treatments in the unfit and frail population and hopefully provide a treatment landscape of the, for the present and future for these patients. So nearly two-thirds of multiple myeloma patients are age are over age 65 at diagnosis, the bulk of our patients we see in our in the clinic. Uh, the median age of diagnosis is 69, and on the right-hand side, side of, this, of the slide, you'll see that the median age of death is, is 75, and that almost 80% of patients' uh, mortality we see in patients over 65 with myeloma. And just as another note, that we know that our population in the world are, is aging in general, so that this will continue to be a larger portion of patients that we treat. We have seen continual improvement in, sur in survival across all age groups, in age gr groups over 65 as well. Um, this was one of the more recent um, data sets I've seen looking at um, the SEER, analyzing the SEER data set. And if I draw your attention to the age 65 to 74 group, we've definitely seen improvements in survival with novel therapies, both five-year relative survival rates to the general population and 10-year. However, in over 75 uh, age group, we really have made less, much less progress, no progress in 10-year relative survival rates, what being less than 10%, and, and some, some progress in the, the much more recent years, but definitely a more at-risk group. And just again, as a background, what has led to these improvements in survival, especially particularly in the 65 to 74 age group? And I've kind of mapped out a timeline here of, of the trials that really have in, in specifically transplant ineligible population historically that have led to these improvements in survival. So here we can we see over six trials and improvement with melphalan-prednisone thalidomide, um, then a subsequent improvement adding bortezomib to melphalan uh, and prednisone, um, then in, in 2010 reported um, a par another paradigm-changing regimen, um, lenalidomide with low-dose dexamethasone, and just an important ca caveat here, and these, there are about half the patients in this trial who are over 65 uh, years of age, um, and there, there was, there, one caveat I wanted to mention is that the fewer deaths that were seen in the, the low-dose dex arm were primarily due to, uh, fewer deaths due to 
toxicity in the first four months of treatment and in the elderly patients. So that was a, a learning point from this uh, study. Uh, VMP compared to VTP showed uh, similar overall survival that we saw with um, in the prior trial, roughly about five years. Um, and then uh, I list these trials here. We're not going to go uh, too much more into them, um, but just to show that um, there were older patients in these studies as well, and I'll, I'll show you on the next slide. Um, however, um, definitely um, data that we that benefit that benefits and will likely benefit this population in the future um, the first trial really also being paradigm changing with continuous lenalidomide shown as uh, showing a survival benefit to MPT and then uh, much more recently uh, the first four drug regimen uh, with uh, monoclonal antibody four drug regimen um, that was reported earlier this year um, also showing a, a very strong uh, PFS benefit versus uh, VMP. So um, I just want to show um, these triplets uh, here, so novel uh, triplet, uh, triplet combinations that were not um, looked at, these phase one, phase two studies were not looked at in, in a transplant ineligible population, obviously, but there were small numbers of patients um, in these trials that um, in, in the, this data, in the IRD data updated more recently, highlights the response in the older patients um, over 65 years and over 75 years. And we see very strong um, survival and responses in these older patients as well. And we'll certainly have more data to come from endurance and tourmaline trials with older patients that we will be able to look at in more depth. And then, as just I mentioned, the um, four-drug combination and transplant ineligible um, newly diagnosed patient adding daratumumab to VMP background, backbone, and that's with continued daratumumab maintenance in the DVMP arm. Um, and this was in a transplant, purely transplant ineligible population or over 65, over 700 patients, 30%, uh, over 75 in each, in each arm with primary endpoint being PFS and a very strong uh, hazard ratio, a decreased progression um, or deaths in the DVMP arm, hazard ratio of 0.5. Um, and one I want to point out here, the, in the subgroup analyses, um, the, more, the most recent, um, from the recent publication in New England Journal, showing um, that Despite uh, over 75 or, or under 75 age group, we see very strong hazard ratio, uh, similar 0.53 in the over 75 age group, so that these older patients are appearing to benefit from the addition for the four drug regimen. So now, how, you know, highlighting some of these improvements and progress we've made in the last 12 years, I'd say 12, 15 years in a transplant ineligible population, we, we know and we all know that most of these patients we would be considering fit in these trials. So how are these, how is this data and these studies going to help us in the real, real world, real clinic in treating our, our frail patients or, or possibly an intermediate, intermediate category, our unfit patients? So that's what I, I really want to dive into deeper next. So, you know, first a definition. Um, Dr. Palumbo and his group um, 
and IMWG published this analysis in uh, 2015 in blood, looking at 869 patients from three pooled studies where a geriatric assessment was performed at baseline so that uh, different risk factors could be analyzed um, to, to look at in the, their their question was, are there risk factors in older, newly diagnosed myeloma patients that predict mortality and increase risk of toxicity? So here, just to kind of quickly show you, and the point of this is that it's a simplified geriatric analysis that can be done you know, at the bedside in the clinic exam room uh, quickly so that we, we can really make this accessible to our clinics. Um, the, these four risk factors were found to be high, the highest correlation with mortality um, in this data set of 869 patients. So between age, the Charleston comorbidity index, activities of daily living score, and, um, and the IADL score, these four risk factors, when, um, when added and ha uh, in getting a score that would delineate three different risk groups related to survival. And so a, a frail score of greater or equal to two being associated with the frail category, and there was each of these categories were uh, about one-third of the patients in this group. And it actually, looking at it in this way, it, it, in relation to other risk factors that were seen in this data set, you can really see how strong this frailty score um, was compared to age alone, uh, even cytogenetics. We, you can see the hazard ratio here of 1.72 uh, between under 75, over 75, uh, 1.86 between standard risk and high risk. Fish. And then when we look at just the, the frail versus the fit, a one-year overall survival of 96% in the fit patients versus 78% in the frail with a hazard ratio of 3.53. So very strong correlation with survival. Um, and additionally, the, the goal for this study was not just look, look at morbidity and uh, survival and progression-free survival, but also toxicity and uh, risk factors for early drug discontinuation as a, um, a reason for uh, decreased overall survival. And you can also see in these two lower curves graphs that um, the the cumulative incidence, incidence of non-hematologic AEs uh, did also correlate nicely with the three risk groups uh, with higher AEs in the, in the frail group um, and lower in the fit. And then drug discontinuation, uh, really, we see the three groups separate nicely. So, you know, as a conclusion to, to this data set, one proposed, you know, management strategy of, okay, we, we, we divide our patients into fit, unfit, and frail with this, with this score, you know, how, what next? How do we treat these patients? So one, one pr proposing of either lowering doses, lenalidomide, um, but lengthening um, uh, treatments, so every other week versus weekly, um, bortezomib um, was proposed as one strategy for these patients. Um, but we really have, in the last few, really just in the last few years since this has been published, um, have a little bit you know, of data that's now coming out focusing specifically on the unfit and frail patients. Um, and that's really what I want to re review today. So yes, we can decrease dose levels of standard induction agents, which we, we kind of do that as a gestalt and we, we do that on our own. Um, but are the, is there evidence for regimens or any evidence in the literature for other 
other manage other strategies or, or treatments that we should uh, be doing specifically in these patients. So one option would be, um, you know, the the question: Should we give these patients doublet or triplet induction regimens? And there's three main um, large trials that I'd like to review with you that really looked at this question in the, un the unfit and the frail population. Um, uh, two, of, two were from Europe, from Italy, and one was, um, was led by Dr. Nizvitsky, the upfront study. So the first was looking at lenalidomide-based doublets versus triplets um, for um, 662 patients in a large phase three study, uh, all over 65 or transplant ineligible, and comparing RD versus an al alkylator triplet, uh, malfilon prednisone reblimid, or cytoxin pre uh, prednisone reblimid. And um, here I, I highlighted not just the, the overall study population, there was found to be no difference in survival between the, al the two alkylator regimens and the, and the doublet, but even looking at uh, the response, the PFS and the OS broken down by um, unfit or frail in each of the doublets or triplets, we really see no difference in in responses here. Um, the same, a very, a, a almost identical concept study was done, uh, a smaller phase two, looking at this question, but with bortezomib-based doublets or triplets. So 152 patients, again, an uh, Italian um, study was were randomized to bortezomib prednisone, VMP, or, um, or bortezomib cytoxone prednisone when all arms had a, a bortezomib maintenance. And these, and I didn't, Point out in the last slide, but these you know, this data set was is, is was from the same group and um, who published the frailty score, and they 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 categorized and in, in, uh, in their patients um, as unfit, frail, or, or fit coming into the study, and so 54% of these patients were did meet the frail category. So in 76 patients. 76% over age 75, and so forth. And this, the same, uh, the same conclusion: PFS, OS, no difference between the doublet and the triplet regimens. And then the upfront study over in the U.S. was done. And, and what was um, unique about this study, looking at doublet versus triplet uh, bortezomib-based um, regimens um, led by Dr. Nizvisky, so uh, VD versus um, VTD versus VMP. Um, so looking at a, a triplet IMID and uh, PI um, combination therapy, over 500 patients were enrolled, primarily at community-based practices, um, and these patients d did have a high number of comorbidities, um, a portion were over 80 years old, very elderly, and we see the same conclusion that there was no difference in survival uh, PFS or OS with the, between the doublets or the triplets. Um, with in the, the VTD arm, there was a much higher rate of toxicity and decreased quality of life reported in, in that um, the arm specifically. So um, other evidence and, and some of the strong, strongest evidence we have for how we've, we now are managing our, our, unfrit, our frail patients, if, if we can't you know, um, combine to triplets and, and you know, four drug regimens in these patients, at least at the present time, can we lengthen their treatment and um, lengthen PFS by continuous therapy, either with a doublet or a triplet 
an induction. So um, everyone knows the first study, um, and this was in a, a purely transplant ineligible population, 1600, pa over 1,600 patients um, randomized to that question, continuing uh, REV maintenance uh, at or stopping uh, Revlimidex at 18 cycles versus continuing REV index versus uh, 18 months of MPT, 12 cycles of MPT. Um, and there were th these patients were also, um, there was a portion that were over 75 and higher risk. And, you know, just as a summary, um, the, the trial met its primary endpoint for PFS um, with both a, a overall survival and a, a progression-free survival uh, versus MPT. Um, for the fixed versus a continuous revelant arm, there was a progression-free survival and a trend to overall survival, but um, was, sorry, not a trend, but was... Um, not, was not significant for overall survival. Both arms were approximately about five years. And in the most recent, there was a recent um, update to the first trial published earlier this year. And um, in this update, there was a subgroup analysis focused, focusing on age um, and other risk factors. And just the, the main point I want to make here is that um, for the younger and the older patients, lower, uh, younger or older than 75 years, that we see the same benefit um, for prolonged PFS regardless of age. Um, and so th this, this uh, regimen does uh, appear to benefit um, our older patients as well. Now, um, stemming from that, um, I just want to, I have a few slides on the, the SWOG study. So the phase three study of RVD versus RD. And this is not, was not in a purely transplant ineligible population. Only 43% of patients were over 65 and only one third um, were transplant ineligible. Um, however, you know, we, we, the question, we know that this study was uh, basically RVD versus RD, both arms with RD uh, maintenance, similar to the, the first study, and we know that it was strongly positive for RVD. So the question here is, can, will this, will this regimen benefit our frail patients? Um, in the subgroup analyses of this study, uh, breaking down the 65 to 75-year-old patients, there was a trend to um, improved PFS and OS with RVD that did not reach statistical significance. In the over 75 age group, um, there was both a doubling in PFS and OS in um, uh, 30 to 60 months uh, overall overall survival, so a strong benefit that was statistically significant. So um, it was a large study, um, and I, I think this data is, is, is very provocative for these patients, again, with the caveat that these are likely all fit, fit patients. Um, so going back to how do we treat our unfit and frail patients using this information, um, the last study I want to review is, um, you know, a very reasonable question. We know that there was a benefit to um, RVD 
So in, a, in, this, in, in all comers, so can we modify this regimen, attenuate the doses for transplant ineligible patients? So this was a phase two study, median age was 73, 50, uh, 53 patients, and basically modified every part, component of this um, lower dose of Revlimid, 25 to 15, uh, weekly bortezomib and with the cycle being 35 days versus 21, um, DEX capped at 40 a week, 20 in, in older patients as opposed to 80. Um, and there was a consolidation phase of six cycles after the first nine cycles. And two-thirds of the patients, even though it wasn't written into the protocol, did go on to maintenance therapy. Um, so similar to the uh, SWOG study in terms of, in that regard. Um, and there was, you know, again, being a phase two, we'll, we'll you know, there's you know, take that as, as uh, to note, but despite that, a very prolonged median PFS of 31 months, and just to put that in comparison with the first uh, study, uh, PFS, median PFS being 26 months in, in, a, the large, in, the trans, in the population, and with the RVD um, study with with not just transplant ineligible patients being 43 months, so um, was was good, the, the primary endpoint was um, overall response, and we can see that the um, very low rates of peripheral neuropathy, only one grade three, very low rates of um, high-grade uh, hematologic toxicities. So overall, this was um, very promising. Now, um, don't, don't want anyone to get a headache, but you know, I, I really just wanted to kind of give a roadmap for um, what, where we're at right now in terms of thinking of fit, you know, with all of the, the, the new three and four drug regimens that you've just heard about and how we can put our unfit and frail patients into, you know, into this, this you know, this time period. So, uh, you know, I've listed the phase two and phase three studies for triplets and four drug therapies. And, you know, by and large, these are going to be all for fit patients. You know, I, I, I outlined these two studies, you know, KTD versus KRD and a uh, new study um, it was a forearm now. It's a three-arm Ixodex, Ixodexthal, and Ixodexi with Ixa maintenance. And these are in a transplant ineligible population. Um, however, most of the studies now, and you know, if you look through the clinicaltrials.gov and look through all the study details, you'll see that many are excluding now based on um, the frail, frailty index. So even this trial, you know, the frail patients are excluded. So are there trials um, for our frail, unfit and frail patients? There's a few that I just want to highlight before we, we end, um, you know, the concept of a monoclonal antibody-based triplet. Um, there's, you know, we, we all know the Eloquent study, but D, uh, DARA RevDEX versus RevDEX, or a smaller uh, DARA VELCADEX. Um, these are trials that possibly are, are unfit patients, um, you know, if they're not explicitly excluded, could qualify for, um, and, and may be able, you know, have low toxicity. Um, and then lastly, for our frail patients, um, you know, there's not, you know, the, the main point really that I'm showing you this is we need research, we need to, to study these patients. I mean, we have, you know, a few trials and they're basically modulating steroid doses. And, and you know, this large phase three trial um, is, 
is asking, do we continue, you know, 25 of rev or, or drop it down to 10 for maintenance? So I would, you know, say this is not going to be, include our frail patients anyway, but, but possibly our unfit patients. Um, so conclusions are that the IMWG frailty assessment is a very accessible one that may be used in all newly diagnosed patients who, who we deem at risk. Um, the definition of frailty will continue to evolve with introduction of novel and more tolerable therapies, such as monoclonal antibodies. And just as a, a small roadmap, you know, the, the current treatments and current trials that we may consider for these patients, either doublets, low-dose doublets, um, followed by continuous therapy, attenuated triplet combinations such as RVD light, um, possibly monoclonal antibody-based triplets. Um, and I'll leave here. It's just kind of a just a more of a summary and, um, and the, the top half is how we are treating these patients now focusing on the unfit and frail categories and the bottom half are you know in the very near future hopefully from current studies what we may have um, to offer these patients thank you